Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into the top 10 actors born in March on today's top 10 episode. Yes, this is a new uh, brand, uh, I guess, of episode that I'm testing, dipping, dipping my toes into the water, so to speak. I It's March, and, you know, I used to have a, a Tumblr where I put, like, top ten lists for movies of various things, and I got into the habit of making a top ten list on the first day of every month. Uh, in regards to the top 10 actors, according to my spreadsheet, at that moment uh, that were born on, in that month. And so I thought that maybe that could translate um, into a monthly podcast episode. I mean, you tell me, right? So, um, yeah, the way it's kind of just going to work, uh, it's in my head anyway, you know, I again, like none of this is scripted, so don't think that I've planned this all out to a T, but there are, uh, I don't know, some hundreds, hundreds of, of people on my spreadsheet that were born in March, and really the only criteria is it's the top 10 people based on their score, so uh, their average film rating, plus uh, their film's value, plus uh, the additional points that they get for being nominated or and or winning uh, an Academy Award equals their score. And uh, the only other uh, other piece of criteria that, that I'm currently uh, ascribing to is that there's a, a threshold of number of films that a person would have to be in. So, for example, in this month, Technically, the ninth and 10th ranked people, uh, they are two women who I've only seen one film in for each of them. But for Gloria Swanson, that is that film is Sunset Boulevard, for which she was nominated uh, for her performance in. And for Virginia Weidler, 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 sorry, that, that uh, she's also only been one film, and that is The Philadelphia Story. And so, while I don't begrudge their position on the list, there there's really not much to talk about, uh, other than to say that they were in these movies, both of which it's been quite some time since I've seen. Uh, and so, I, I figured I would give their spots to two people. I would <laughs> I have a much easier time discussing, and who have a much wider catalog of films that I've seen. So. Grain of Salt, Gloria Swanson, Virginia Weidler, Weidler, I, I fuck, I don't know. Um, my my deepest apologies. Uh, you know, while both of them are deceased, I still owe it to them to mention their names, as I will do for anybody in the top ten that would get knocked out due to the kind of the requirements. So uh, let's just uh, jump into this, shall we? So number ten. 10th highest rated actor, born in March, according to my spreadsheet, is Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman ranks 183rd overall. 
and uh, is definitely one of my favorite actors. You know, he favorite male actors. You know, he um, he he's played a lot of different characters over the years. Uh, he's probably most famous as Gordon in Nolan's Batman trilogy, or Sirius Black in the Harry Potter movies. Uh, and you know, I think that that's very fair you know he plays the villain in leon the professional and uh you know he finally got nominated for an oscar in tinker taylor soldier spy which many people say is a long time coming i am one of those people i agree he has played other eclectic villains uh like in the fifth element or, or air force one and uh you know, he, he's, he's been Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, along with Tim Roth. He is also... He was in the Robocop reboot. He voiced a character in Quest for Camelot, as well as Kung Fu Panda 2. Uh, and, man, his, his voice in, in Kung Fu Panda 2 was actually really startling. I, I had a... I was shocked that it didn't really sound like him that much, you know. But but you know, he he's 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 had a very wide swath of of influence in in film. You know, I've personally seen thirty one films where he has been a part of them, and for me, his average film rating is a sixty point six five, which is the lowest of anybody else on this list. Uh, which helps contribute to him being in 10th, parentheses, 12th place. But his films are very top-heavy. Uh, you know, The Dark Knight, which is one of the few films that I've given a 100 to. You know, he was in it. That's huge. That's a, like, being in a movie rated 100 is very rare. No one in on my spreadsheet has been in two of them. And it's just tough to be in one. And, uh, you know, The Dark Knight, he happened to be in it. Uh, his, that's, so that's his best film uh, for me. Next is Batman Begins, uh, which has a 95. So still very high. Um, he's been in six films total that I've put in the 90s. Uh, so the others are Prick Up Your Ears, which is probably one most people haven't heard of. Uh, I would guess, anyway. It's, uh, it's a, I believe, a British film, a British-based film, that also stars uh, also a very renowned actor. Um, if I can remember his name. Uh, Alfred Molina. So Gary Oldman and Alfred Molina play uh, a... a uh, a homosexual couple, uh, as well as also starring Vanessa Redgrave. Uh, she's the third lead in the film. And it's a, it came out in the 80s, I think, and it's directed by Stephen Frears, who was recently, whose most recent film was Florence Foster Jenkins. He's also made, he also had a hand in High Fidelity, The Queen, Philomena from a couple of years back, uh, My Beautiful Laundrette, uh, as of at least as far as the films that I've seen, and I really enjoy Prick Up Your Ears. I, geez, it's been a long time, but 
the dynamic and chemistry between Oldman and Molina is really the glue that holds that film together for me. Because it's not... The film itself isn't particularly remarkable. It's it's a solid, solidly written, solidly directed piece of work. And all the actors within it, Redgrave, uh, Molina, Oldman, I think Wallace Shawn is in it, if I remember correctly. They're all doing great work. But the Molina-Oldman dynamic and their interplay, their exchanges, uh, you know, their dialogue seems and sounds so off the cuff that it really kind of it 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 weakens you to the plight of the characters it puts you into their positions in a, a really interesting and and hardly achieved way for most films you know they're you know, and this is the 80s, you know, homosexual movies weren't made in the 80s so much, and, you know, they weren't given to such, you know, big-name directors, Stephen Frears, I, I would consider a very, you know, recognizable name as far as the directors go. You wouldn't see a lot of actors take roles like this 30 years ago. Gosh, 87 was 30 years ago. <laughs> uh, but... But Molina and Oldman just kind of stepped into these roles and embodied them. And they're the reasons that it's such a good film. It's such a good film. So that's Oldman's second best, or third best film overall, second highest rated film in the 90s. Uh, Then there's True Romance, where Oldman doesn't have the, the main role in that so much. But it is a movie that he is in, and one that I find to be uh, very, very enjoyable. It's it's just a insane movie that you know Tarantino wrote perfectly. And uh, I, to be honest, you know I don't <laughs> I don't remember much of this movie. Uh, I I saw it. Five years, four and a half years ago, and uh, I can't really <laughs> speak much to it. Uh, then, fifth in his fifth slot is *The Dark Knight Rises*, uh, which I believe has a 92. Uh, this is an interesting movie. I, I definitely, I was, I went and saw it, and I saw it under, in my opinion, the best possible circumstances. Uh, you know, the theater here was doing a special showing at midnight of The Dark Knight Rises in IMAX. But they were also showing Batman Begins and The Dark Knight in IMAX prior to The Dark Knight Rises. So we, we, we would go, I think we ended up getting there around three. And the Dark or Batman Begins played at five went to about 7.30, then there was like a half an hour break, and maybe it was 5.30 to like 8, half hour break to 8.30, and then The Dark Knight played until about 11, and then we had another hour or so to wait until The Dark Knight Rises. And I went, 
we got there at like three or something. We got there insanely early. We weren't the first ones there. It was me, my three roommates at the time, one of their brothers, and we got we sat down, we got these posters. Ah, oh, they're fantastic posters. And then I had brought, you know, I think like four or five packs of crackers with me to eat throughout the night while everybody else left to go to like Starbucks or something. I sat in the seat. I did not leave my seat once. I was I sat there for about 12 straight hours and I did not leave my seat. I held everybody's posters. I had all I don't think there were it was like the middle of summer, no coats. And I just kind of sat there. They didn't have anything playing on the screen. We were so early. And maybe an hour went by before everybody came back. And the crowd, the theater was packed. Absolutely packed. We had great seats. Batman Begins played. And it was incredible. You know, I'd seen the movie in theaters when it first came out. You know, five years earlier. Uh, And I, you know, that was well before I really cared about movies the same way I do now. But my grandparents took me to see it, and I just, I loved it. I thought it was so great. And then The Dark Knight, like, wasn't on my radar. Like, I don't know how that sounds to someone else, but I remember going to see it at the beach the summer it came out. We went, I went at midnight. My cousins took me to see it, and... I didn't even know. I had no idea what I was going and getting ready to see. I didn't realize that they'd it was a sequel to Batman Begins. I didn't know anything about the Heath Ledger Joker controversy. I literally went into this movie blind. Like I, I long for the days where I can do that again, and I don't think they'll ever come. I went into this movie blind, and I came out just shaking. I was visibly shaking when I left The Dark Knight because I, you know, I had seen other films that I thought, like, I had already seen at that point other films that I would give a 100 to once I started my spreadsheet. I didn't have a spreadsheet at that point. You know, I'd seen Toy Story. I'd seen uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas. But, you know, those, there's just, there's a different sort of feeling accompanied with these films while Toy Story is is just this huge nostalgia sort of like what if sort of movie and The Nightmare Before Christmas is just this movie of wonderment and and joy and sort of branching out and understanding who you are The Dark Knight is not like that it, it's The Dark Knight is is pure uh, just just unbridled excitement and and uh, uh, power of wills, if I may. You know, the whole film rests on the conflict between Batman and the Joker and how constant and set and stationary and immovable the two are in their ideals, in their ideologies, in their philosophies, And, you know, as the film builds and crescendos to such an incredibly high point uh, when they finally meet in that abandoned building and you've got the Joker who ends up just dangling out over the edge, you know, as 
you know, in, in any other movie, that's the f- end, you know, that's where it stops. He's Batman's won, the game is over, none of the ships blew up, the Joker's been subdued, and yet it's not the end because, like, the Joker is criminally underrated as the mastermind that he is. And not to get, dive too deep into this movie, but I came out of that movie so excited and so just it felt so amazing and so the, it played again here in IMAX uh, in front of this dark night in front of the dark night rises and I just I got that same feeling again you know it'd been two three three or four years I think since I'd seen the dark night in theaters before and I just oh I was just <laughs> it's tough to describe but it, I got that same feeling all over again and so the Dark Knight Rises played and you know I'd seen the Rotten Tomatoes score was very high it uh, you know I don't know where it's at I, I don't remember what it was ended up at I think it was in like the low 90s maybe high 80s and uh, I'd seen tr- previews like I live in Pittsburgh and they shot a lot of the scenes in Pittsburgh you know you see the UPMC building they shot it at Heinz Field there's um, Heinz Ward in, in this movie you know, I, there are scenes in this movie that go that I walked through the not through the sets as they were shooting, but like p- through them that they used as sets, like just at class every day. And so that amped up the movie for me. I love Tom Hardy. I I love Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I love Anne Hathaway. I was surrounded by hundreds of other people who were there to see this movie with me, and could not be more excited for it than I was. And when I first saw it, you know, I remember leaving the movie theater and uh, my friend Ben kind of asked me, like, so so what did you think? You know, and at this point, I did have a spreadsheet. At this point, I was as obsessed with movies as I am now. And I, I just... I mean, I, I'm... I have plenty of like anxiety problems, but and I don't know how much they factored into to this exchange of ours. But I just kind of like I was sitting next to the window and I was staring out the window. I could like I heard him. I heard his question, but I couldn't. I didn't answer. And so he repeated himself. And then my other roommate Nick, like kind of glanced over me. And then Nick's such a nice guy. He, I, well, I don't I don't know like what he thought the situation was like, but. He just kind of like talked for me, uh, and so I, I didn't say anything. I think Ben got kind of upset or, or irritated, uh, and Nick kind of just like he probably just doesn't know what to think. He, he's probably so over the moon or, or something. I, I can't remember how what he said exactly, but the I was just shocked. You know, I my knee jerk reaction was that it was even better than The Dark Knight. My knee-jerk reaction. And for a, a day or two, I, I kind of settled on that opinion. And then the next weekend, I went and saw it again uh, with another friend. And, you know, <laughs> the same way, we had watched the first Batman Begins in The Dark Knight prior to going to see The Dark Knight Rises. And again, I came out of the movie and I was like, this is just, this is incredible. I was so awestruck. Uh, 
but then the further I got away from the second viewing, the more I began to understand, wait a second, hold on. This isn't the movie that I, I think it is. Uh, you know, this... You know, I had been waiting for The Dark Knight Rises ever since it had been announced. This is a movie that I had built up expectations toward from the inception of it, conception of it. And time and time again, I had gone back to it. I had gone deeper and deeper into this movie until it came out. And I think that when you have such high expectations for a movie, you get one of two results. Either the movie dramatically fails to live up to these expectations. Uh, I can't think of anything that's done that to me offhand. I know it's happened many times, but uh, yeah, like either so either the movie greatly disappoints you, or it exceeds your expe- It somehow still manages to succeed your expectations. That I do have an, an example of, and that's Mad Max Fury Road. But and that's how I felt about The Dark Knight Rises when it first when I first saw it, the first week or two uh, after I'd seen it. But then I just I kept going further and further away from it, and I kept thinking back over and over again, you know, why why isn't it sticking with me as much as The Dark Knight did? What what's the problem? Why can't I latch onto it in the same way? Why doesn't it feel as cohesive? Why isn't it as perfect as I as I felt the Dark Knight was and is, and you know I I slowly I think it took three three separate occasions I slowly dropped the rating of this movie, and I hate changing the rating of movies because I just I have to go into my spreadsheet and adjust every little thing that that movie is affecting, and I did it three times for the Dark Knight Rises, you know it it was just. And, like, it, obviously, I still think very, very highly of this movie. It has a 92 out of 100. But, and, I, gosh, I realize how long I'm just talking about this one movie that's part of Gary Oldman's filmography, but I uh, just can't... It's just really good. I, I the feeling, The feelings that I felt after seeing it for the first time haven't completely dissipated. Uh, and while I haven't seen The Dark Knight Rises in a long time since, it's it's still a film that I, I hold near and dear to myself. So let's let's move past that. The other two films rated in the 90s for Gary Ullman are Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and Leon the Professional. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, he kind of has a smaller role. Uh, he is a human in the movie. Uh, but Leon the Professional is, I think, the first movie... No, I guess I first really recognized him from from Harry Potter. But Leon the Professional is the first movie where he wasn't Harry, he wasn't Sirius Black, he wasn't uh, Jim Gordon, and he was a bad guy. You know, I wasn't used to this with Gary Oldman at the time. And you know, I would later go on to watch other movies where he played bad guys, but this was my first introduction of him as that. And you know, he is just off the everything and and he completely just goes balls to the wall will not stop will not 
cease and desist whatsoever uh, in this role. And, you know, it was, it kind of felt a little like Heath Ledger's Joker in that way. You know, he was unbridled, he was unrestrained, and would not, you know, give Natalie Portman and, uh, I'm not going to remember his name. Uh, the, the, the Jean Renault, any quarter. Um, I really don't have any sort of format for these episodes. I don't think I'm. I can't really spend 25 minutes talking about each of these people. That's like a four hour. That'd be four hours long. Uh, so we'll kind of speed through the rest of his films here. His movies that I've rated in the 80s, in descending order: Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, my favorite Harry Potter movie. Uh, largely in part due to Gary Oldman, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Kung Fu Panda 2, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Then we move into his, so those were his uh, 8th through 12th rated films. His 13th best film, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hells Part 2. Then the fifth, Element. Uh, then Lawless, the movie where he also shared with Tom Hardy. And uh, Shia LaBeouf was in it as well. Uh, those are both in the 70s. Then he's got Air Force One, The Book of Eli, Heath Ledger, A Tribute, a documentary, and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, all in the 60s. One film in the 50s, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Then, you know, and like like pretty much most actors, he's been in some bad stuff. Lost in Space, Hannibal, Robocop, the new one, and Quest for Camelot. And, again, like most actors, he's been in some awful stuff, including a film that came out already this year called uh, The Space Between Us, which is uh, really a shame. Uh, you know, he... I don't I don't know what it is. Like, he hit Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and, I, and he got, finally got the recognition, and I thought that was going to be a signal that he was trending upward, that now that he was really being recognized as this incredible actor everyone was acknowledging it it's going to roll into something more meaningful it's going to impress people in a way that it will put his star on the map even even larger than it already was and it didn't i think that he has has coasted since then if not declined you know i i i really hope that he can find some better roles that can be in some and be in some better movies but i just i've been really disappointed in his track record since uh tinker teller soldier spy for the most part you know so gary oldman number 10 let's move on to the next person number nine holly hunter uh holly hunter i've seen 15 films of hers for an average film rating of 68.73 uh, uh, to compare her with Gary Oldman, so that's about eight points higher. She's been in. She her film value is twenty five. Gary Oldman's was thirty seven, which is twelve points higher. But she's been nominated. I've seen four films where she's been nominated for best for a best actress or best supporting actress, and in one of them she won. So she has an Academy Award. She won for the piano which is, in my opinion, her third, the third best film she's been in. Uh, the best is The Incredibles and her voice work as Elastigirl. 
And number two is Raising Arizona, uh, the Coen Brothers comedy starring Nicolas Cage. Uh, she is so her score is a ninety-eight point seven three, uh, and she's ranked one hundred seventy-eighth overall. Gary Oldman one eighty-three. So very little distance between the two of them, and to be approximate, eight hundredths of a point is is what separates the two. Uh, moving on, she was nominated in her role for 13. Uh, she was nominated in her role for Broadcast News. And she was nominated in her role for The Firm. Uh, she's also been in uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Blood Simple, where she plays a voice on the telephone. Uh, Nine Lives. Crash, which is not the Oscar, the Academy Award winning Crash, but a different one. Uh, Moonlight Mile, which is uh, an okay film. It's her, her one, the film of, one film of hers rated in the 50s. And then the bad films, in my opinion, for her are Won't Back Down, Always, Little Black Book, and uh, her only awful movie is Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, which is, uh, I think, the most recent film that I've seen her in. Yes. So yeah, uh, I love Holly Hunter. I the most the thing I most recognize her from is Raising Arizona. I when I picture her, that's what I kind of see. That's what I'm looking at, and I think that that's just a role that she kind of much more than Nicolas Cage was just instantly fit the character description. Whatever the Coen Brothers told her about that role. I think she already was, in a sense. Uh, so, Holly Hunter, number nine. As far as being a better actor than Gary Oldman, uh, the Academy seems to think so, having nominated her far more than him. Uh, and I've, I've seen half as many of her films as I've seen of his, so I don't know that... You know, I don't know if, that I, if I watched 16 more Holly Hunter films... If she would still be ahead of Gary Oldman, I can't imagine that she has 16 more films that are good. But I do love her. I think it's a shame that she was part of Batman v Superman, but uh, that was that was her decision. So Holly Hunter, number nine. Uh, yeah, so number eight, we jump into the top 100 with Jessica Chastain, who's in 88th overall. Uh, I've seen 18 films of hers, and she has a s slightly higher average film rating than Holly Hunter with a 69.44, uh, which is the fourth highest average film rating of everyone in the top 10. She has a film value of 32, so higher than Holly Hunter, lower than Oldman, and she was nominated for two Oscars uh, that I've seen. Those are for Zero Dark Thirty and for The Help. So she has a score of 103.44. So there's actually a very significant gap between 8 and 9. Uh, Holly Hunter at 98.73. Jessica Chastain at 103.44 is about 4.5 points difference. Chastain's best film, Zero Dark Thirty, is, I think, incredible. And I think sh that... While I had seen her in quite a few films prior to Zero Dark Thirty, that was the first film I really 
appreciated her as the powerful actress that she is. Uh, you know, she later was in Coriolanus, or she previously was in Coriolanus uh, with Gerard Butler and Ray Fiennes, which I think is Shakespeare. I don't know for sure. Uh, as well, and then as I said, The Help, which is her third best film. And then to round out her films rated in the 90s, Take Shelter with Michael Shannon, which uh, is a highly underrated film. Well, I guess not underrated, because everyone I know that's seen it has really enjoyed the film. But I under-recognized, under-watched, I suppose. Uh, then she's been very big in sci-fi with uh, Interstellar and The Martian. Uh, this past year, she had Miss Sloan. Uh, she was in a movie called... Her eighth best movie is The Debt. She was in... I don't know. Debt. Which is a 2011 movie where my synopsis of it is a German doctor guilty of killing thousands is attempted to be brought to justice. Uh, presumably, she is not the good doctor. But perhaps she is a an affiliate of his i don't know she was also in lawless alongside gary oldman she was in a most violent year she lent her voice to madagascar 3 europe's most wanted uh she was the she was next opposite tom hiddleston in crimson peak uh, opposite brad pitt in the tree of life she was one of the voices from the letters to jackie film she was uh, part of the documentary Interstellar, colon, Nolan's Odyssey. She was in, and then her bad films are Touch of Evil, Jolene, and also from last year, The Huntsman, Winter's War. So sad that she did that. Really wished that was a good movie. It was not. Jessica Chastain, number eight. 18 films. Moving up from 88th to 85th place is number 7, Alan Tudyk. Uh, Alan Tudyk has been in 22 films I've seen. Has a, Dips a little bit in average film rating to 68.77. Never been nominated for an Oscar. Uh, but has a slightly higher value of 35 over Jessica Chastain, 32. So while her score is 103.44, his is 103.77. Very small difference. Uh, he was in last year's Zootopia and last year's Moana, uh, which is uh, insane. You know, it jumped him up in a huge way. He was also in last year's Rogue One, a Star Wars story. You know, so he uh, last year skyrocketed him to this place i i don't know how far below he was before this but i can kind of surmise that he was outside the top 300 at the very least uh, so anyway his top two films zootopia then moana he was in 310 to yuma he lent his voice to wreck it ralph then he was in knocked up beautiful boy lent his voice to big hero 6 very accomplished voice actor and i i'm Considerably impressed by him. Uh, he was hilarious in Tucker and Dale versus Evil. He was uh, a voice in Frozen. He played that one royal type guy. Uh, 
he was in A Knight's Tale, which is the first role that I really recognized him in. Uh, you know, A Knight's Tale was such a guilty pleasure of mine. Uh, Heath Ledger's in it. Uh, uh, Heath Ledger, Alan, T- uh, Alan Tudyk. Uh, uh, I think the girl is Sosamon. Shannon's Sosamon, Shosamon, Sosamon. Something like that. And then Paul Bettany as well. He also lends his voice in Ice Age. And then rounding out uh, some of his, you know, good movies rated in the 60s, Death at a Funeral, Welcome to Me with Kristen Wiig, Trumbo uh, with Brian Cranston, and uh, Dodgeball, The True Underdog Story, and iRobot, which I, I, I guess, you know, I marked it down as a voice here, so I'm assuming he was the main voice sunny i think i see was sunny in the irobot no average films but a few bad ones for me uh transformers dark of the moon 28 days ice age continental drift maze runner the scorch trials and his worst film patch adams yeah but uh yeah that's number seven alan tudyk Number six, jumping up seven more spots to 78th overall, is Matthew Broderick, who also has 22 films, just like Alan Tudyk. Slightly higher average film rating at 69.45, 100th higher than Jessica Chastain. Uh, Very, very similar to uh, Alan Tudyk. They have the same film value at 35, neither are nominated for an Oscar, but... Broderick has a couple less uh, awful films, and so his average film rating is just a higher and en- just higher enough. His best film is also a voice role, uh, The Lion King, where he is adult Simba. Last year, he had a small role in Manchester by the Sea, but he plays it very well. He was also in You Can Count on Me and Election, as his two big, as his two other great films that he's been in. Uh, some of his more iconic roles are War Games, his fifth highest rated film, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off, his seventh highest rated film. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I would watch that on TBS all the time when I was younger, loved it, uh, really thought it was fantastic. His sixth highest rated film is Margaret. Uh, he was in The Freshman with Marlon Brando which is kind of a Godfather knock ripoff, but I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I thought it was a lot of fun. He plays the straight man to Jim Carrey in The Cable Guy, which was kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. He plays himself in Trainwreck. Uh, he has a significant side role in Rules Don't Apply, for, also from last year, from Warren Beatty. He reprised his role in The Lion King 2, Simba's Pride. Uh, just last month, he was in glory which i watched for the scavenger hunt he also reprised his role as simba in the lion king one and one half he lent his voice to b movie he was in the movie version of the producers the remake movie version he played the music man he lent his voice to the tale of despero and the first film i think i ever saw him in was godzilla from 1999 i want to say uh, I remember my cousin and I would kind of loved that movie in a weird way. But Godzilla, 
not not the new one, the older one. Another movie that I saw him in in theaters is Deck the Halls from a long, long time ago with uh, Danny DeVito about people arguing over Christmas. He lent his voice in Good Boy, which I guess he was the main dog in that. Uh, really weird movie. I think the dogs were aliens and like they had collars that let them talk and the boy like found out and like was helping them get back to their home planet. It's very strange. Uh, then he was Inspector Gadget, which is his worst film. That's his 22nd highest film. Uh, Broderick and Tudyk are part of the 151 actors on my spreadsheet that have been in at least 22 movies that I've seen. And that is Matthew Broderick. You know, I I really enjoy Tudyk as a voice actor. I think Broderick is good. I think he has a good singing voice. Uh, you know, he's been in quite a few musically inclined films. The Music Man, The Producers, Lion King, etc. Uh, but I've actually really begun to appreciate him in these smaller roles. Uh, you know, with the exception of Glory. And, and I think he's good in Glory. I mean, it's a bigger role, rather. But I, I really do appreciate him in Manchester by the Sea. Uh, rules don't apply. I think he does. He ends, lends a great bit of uh, presence to those movies that I really didn't expect. You know, I had this notion in my head for so long that Matthew Broderick was kind of a joke, and I don't know why. Really, probably just because of Godzilla, but I, I don't think it's true. I don't think he is that much of a joke. Right. So number five, top five. Uh, William H. Macy, number 66 overall. I've seen 24 films with William H. Macy. He has the second highest average film rating of the top 10, uh, which is 69.75. Very, very high. And uh, he has been nominated for one Oscar. He was nominated for Fargo, but did not win. Uh, however, his the best film that I have seen him in is Searching for Bobby Fischer. Uh, somewhat of a smaller film. Uh, it's about chess. And uh, I believe... Excuse me. I believe he plays... He's not the dad. Because the dad's Joe Mantegna. And uh, he's not the instructor. He might be the dad of, like, one of the other students. I don't know. He must have had a very small part in that movie. Uh, second highest movie is Room from 2015, where he plays, I believe, Brie Larson's dad. He was in Boogie Nights. Has a very great scene in Boogie Nights. He has a smaller role in Thank You for Smoking. He is in the John Hawks uh, Helen Hunt movie. The Sessions. He is one of the English-speaking voices in *The Wind Rises*, uh, his sixth best movie. He was in the st he was in *State and Maine*, which I, I really enjoyed. His seventh movie. He was in the ensemble of *Magnolia*. He was in *Wag the Dog*, and then finally we get to *Fargo*, his tenth best movie, for which he was nominated for an Oscar. Uh, he was also in Inland Empire, a film I watched fairly recently and very much enjoyed. Very much enjoyed. 
he uh, was also in Air Force One along with Gary Oldman and was in Seabiscuit, uh, which was kind of a Seabiscuit was kind of a I remember it anyway as being quite a big deal at the time. You know, it had Spider Man in it and it was a horse that was half blind and a jockey that was too big. I remember there was some lines in the movie about that. Like, you got a horse that can't see, a jockey that's too big, and, like, something else and something. Uh, he was in a movie called Jerry and Tom. And another movie called Benny and June, which are both good. He was in The Lincoln Lawyer with Matthew McConaughey. He was also uh, interviewed for Heath Ledger, A Tribute, alongside Gary Oldman. Uh, he was in a movie called Mystery Man. Is that Mystery Men? I spelled it wrong. Mystery Man. I think it is Mystery Men. Mystery Man is not a movie. Mystery Men. Uh, which is like a superhero satire movie. Uh, he was in a Jennifer Aniston movie called Cake. He lent his voice to the tale of Despero, just like Matthew Broderick, as well as the, his voice to Everyone's Hero. He was in Jurassic Park 3, which is probably my most familiar film of his growing up, uh, where he played uh, a paint store owner, Kirby, and they lured, uh, oh, uh, what's his name, back to the island, but it was the other island, to find his son. And he had that jingle like da 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 Kirby's paint tile plus from Westgate. I should not be able to remember that. And then that's so that's his first bad movie. Uh, he's also in Sahara, that remake, and uh, his worst movie, Wild Hogs, with uh, Tim Allen, John Travolta, and I want to say Martin Lawrence. But I'm not certain. <laughs> uh, yeah, William H. Macy is high caliber. You know, he's he's a great actor. And, you know, and now he's on Shameless, which I haven't watched a ton of, but I watched a, a good handful of number of episodes, and I think he's great on that. I think that's a perfect character for him. You know, because you, you, he's kind of just like the lovable kind of nice guy in most of the movies he plays with some variants you know boogie boogie nights definitely one that uh breaks that mold and i think shameless does that really well too you know he he is a charming nice likable guy but he definitely has that sort of seedy shit-eating grin type of side to his character which is very fresh and interesting number four 58th overall uh, who is someone who frequently enters the top 50 but currently resides outside of it is Brendan Gleeson. Uh, Brendan Gleeson. Uh, I've seen 27 films of his. Uh, his film average dips a little bit from where we've, we've kind of been in this high 68, high 60, 69 range. He drops down to 65.85. However, his film value is a 41 so even despite his lower average and no Oscar nominations, he has been in a lot, a lot of great movies. 
not the least of which is his best movie, 28 Days Later. Uh, Killian Murphy uh, zombie movie. Uh, Calvary, which came out in 2015, where he plays opposite uh, a lot of people. It's kind of an ensemble outside of Gleason. Uh, he gets to play opposite his son in one scene, though, uh, Donald Gleason. And his son's in prison. He's like a pedophile, I think. And like that, that's got to be like insane type of scene to shoot. I, I, oh man, I think that's so weird. Not weird. I, I just think that would be such a, the dynamic, like father and son, priest, pedophile. <laughs> it, it really tests you, I would guess. He was in Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, lent his voice to the Pirates, Band of Misfits. Uh, was in In Bruges with Colin Farrell uh, and and Ray Fiennes, which I think is such a wonderful movie. So wonderful. You know, just truly dark comedy off- awesomeness. He also lent his voice to Song of the Sea. He has that really deep sort of brogue, Scottish brogue that you know Song of the Sea particularly is is perfect for. He also, like Gary Oldman, is in the Harry Potter movies where he plays, uh, oh man, now I'm not going to remember it, Mad-Eye Moody. He plays Mad-Eye Moody from the fourth movie on, fourth book on. He was in Gangs of New York with Daniel Day-Lewis and Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, He was in Breakfast on Pluto, also with Killian Murphy. He lent his voice to The Secret of Kells, another animated film. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Uh, the Guard with Don Cheadle. Yeah, that's a, that's another really good dark comedy movie, and I think I think uh, Gleason is is at his best in those roles. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Cold Mountain, uh, and so we're fourteen movies in, and we're just now ending his movies in the eighties. Uh, he was in ten fi- he's in ten films that I've rated in the eighties. Then moving into the 70s, Perrier's Bounty. That's the only one. Into the 60s, he was in uh, uh, Mel Gibson's Braveheart and Troy. So two sweeping epics uh, in his 60-rated films. His average rating films, uh, AI, Artificial Intelligence, Trespass Against Us, which came out last year with Michael Fassbender. Fairly average film. Uh, It could have been much better but it's not outside of the dialogue it's not written very well so that really holds us back hold it holds it back the company you keep and i believe uh oh shoot i can see her name not not michelle williams but carrie mulligan uh in the suffragette uh his 21st best movie and then we dip into the bad movies, Safe House, uh, Live by Night, which also came out last year, uh, Ben Affleck's vehicle, In the Heart of the Sea, which was, I want to say 2014, that was a uh, Chris Hemsworth movie directed by, uh, damn, I have to look it up, uh, Ron Howard, Ron Howard. Uh, he was in the vi- he was in M Night Shyamalan's The Village, which I think is awful. He was 
in the Smurfs 2, which is awful. And as well, last year, this is like the fifth film he's been in last year, Assassin's Creed. Terrible. Terrible. Not good. Not good. That's, you know, you can tell, like, he bounced around. Like, Assassin's Creed brought him down. Live by Night brought him down. Trespass Against Us brought him down. Um, um, yeah, wow. So all those, actually, his last three films have dropped him out of the top 50. I would love to see him do something great like Calvary again. Like, that was an incredible film. And I really hope he does that again. Number three, jumping in the top 50, uh, it, with the with the rank, overall ranking of 44th, is Kevin Corrigan, which is probably the least recognizable name on my top 10 list uh, for March. Uh, he's been in 19 films that I've seen with the highest average film rating of anybody in this top 10, 72.84. And the reason for that is that out of everybody here, other than Jessica Chastain, he has the fewest... Oh, wait. Jessica Chastain and William H. Macy has the fewest number of bad movies with three. Uh, Chastain and H. Macy also only have three. But... Yeah. So, uh... So he starts out with... You know, so he has a 72.84 average film rating, 38 value, which puts his total score at 110.84. So we're 12 points higher than where we started with Gary Oldman. So there's a pretty that's a pretty significant gap for about 140 spots difference. And uh, his his film value is 38, which is the fourth highest. Uh, Brendan Gleeson has a 41. The second place person has a 41, and the first place person has a 50. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, his best film, Seven Psychopaths, which I would love to rewatch this. I I think that all the time, and I never do, because I know that it, I just I get the sense that like I'm not it's not going to change the rating. It's just for enjoyment, which may seem strange because like most people just watch movies for enjoyment and I, I don't I, I want I would it would take a I don't know what the threshold would be but it would take a lot of enjoyment for me to rather watch rewatch something instead of watching something new that I can add more data to my spreadsheet you know the exceptions being like rewatching John Wick in preparation for John Wick 2 and and things like that Next, Living in Oblivion, I believe, is a Steve Buscemi movie, I think. Uh, Please Give. And this is Kevin Corrigan, just to remind people. <laughs> uh, Please Give, which is a Nicole Holof Center film. A lot of these movies are going to kind of come up again when we get to number one for this month. Walking and Talking, Nicole Holof Center. Supporting Characters. Uh, with what's his name from Girls not Adam Driver but the other guy I can't Adam something not Corolla I don't know why I think Corolla some other name The Departed 
Kevin Corrigan in The Departed. And he, Kevin Corrigan plays bit roles. You know, he's never the leading man. He is always secondary character. But he does those roles so well. Uh, Unstoppable. That's the train movie with Denzel. Pineapple Express. Knight of Cups. Terrence Malick. Christian Bale. Super Bad. His number 10. Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Goodfellas. Uh, American Gangster. Somebody Up There Likes Me. Life of Crime. Anchorman. Legend of Ron Burgundy. Uh, that's his 16th film and his last good one. And then his three bad films. Billy Bathgate. The Chaperone. And Winter's Tale. Uh, so, again, like... Some of you probably can't even like picture him in your head. He he's not a very recognizable name. He's not, you know, drawing the box office. He's not leading the films, but he is playing these very competent side characters. And you know, he's got this sort of aura of mystique about him. He's very uh I don't know how you'd say it. Like, I don't know. He's just a very mysterious-looking person. And uh, I, 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 I agree. I think it's very odd that he's so highly rated. But the numbers don't lie. You know? He doesn't do a lot of bad projects. Um, you know, obviously, Winter's Tale being the worst. Uh, I gave it a 3 out of 100. But on paper, I don't know, it probably looked decent. Colin Farrell's in it. It's a twisty sort of film. Winter's Tale. That's Kevin Corrigan at number three, 44th overall. Now, number two, 34th overall. I've seen 25 films from this person. There's going to be a lot of overlap here. Uh, and that is Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. I'm going to say it normal from now on. Uh, Michael Caine, who is Alfred in Nolan's Batman films. So he's also in The Dark Knight. Uh, but he And Batman Begins. And The Dark Knight Rises. But beyond being a frequent collaborator with Nolan, he's been in Children of Men um, with Clive Owen. Uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, opposite Steve Martin, which is a film I remember seeing as a very young kid. Uh, I, I loved it. I thought it was just hilarious. This the the pranks that I like, pranks back and forth and one upmanship. I I thought it was so much fun. It's so enjoyable. Um, Inception, some more Nolan association the prestige again nolan so that's his seventh best film or that's the last film in the 90s quills i don't think he's the main character because i think uh what's his name from pirates of the caribbean jeffrey rush is is the main character in quills i believe back to nolan with interstellar then youth uh which i think came out in 2015 was nominated for best original song two years ago uh, he was in Kingsman, The Secret Service in 2015. He won an Oscar for Cider House Rules. 
and he won an Oscar for Hannah and Her Sisters. He was nominated for Sleuth, which was one of the uh, scavenger hunt films I watched. I don't know if it was for a month I, I did this, I, I was recording podcasts for, but he was in it with uh, Lawrence Olivier. Uh, he was in The Muppet Christmas Carol. He also was in Heath Ledger, A Tribute. He lent his voice to Nomeo and Juliet, which is a film that I really like, and I, I probably shouldn't, but I found it oddly charming in a really weird way. Uh, he was in, and that's the last of his good movies. He was in Miss Congeniality, Now You See Me, and Interstellar, Nolan's Odyssey, alongside Jessica Chastain uh, his, for his average movies. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, his bad films uh, start with his voice in Cars 2. He plays the dad in Bewitched. He was in Now You See Me 2, the sequel. Secondhand Lions, which is an old movie. Not an old movie, but a movie from my childhood that I remember watching at the theater. And then another movie that I saw during the scavenger hunt, uh, Shanti, where he... Like this is when he was this is very old for Michael Caine. He travels to Africa and like befriends, falls in love with, and weds some uh, an African woman, which causes all sorts of problems. Uh, yeah, so Michael Caine has an average film rating of sixty seven point one six, and his value is a forty one, just like Brendan Gleeson. But he's been nominated for three Oscars and won two, based on the films I've seen. And being in a film rated 100 is an incredible boon to your score. And uh, Michael Caine's score at 34th overall is 113.16. So that's 2.3 points higher than Kevin Corrigan. And there's just 10 spots that separate them. So the gap really does start to widen the further, the closer you get to the top. Michael Caine. He with he's been in twenty five films and is part of ninety five people uh, who have also been in twenty at least twenty five films. And finally, drum roll, Catherine Keener, number one. Yes, Catherine Keener. You might not even know that name, uh, although you probably do. You know, I, I would, or at least like in passing, recognize it. If you're listening to this podcast, I, I kind of assume you would know that name. But to the average person, they probably don't. She was much bigger, like, in the 90s. She is going to be in a lot of films that have already been said. Except for this first one, for which she was nominated for an Oscar. Being John Malkovich, her best film, in my opinion. With a 96. She was also in Out of Sight. And then was opposite, starred alongside Kevin Corrigan in Living in Oblivion. She was in, she's been in every Nicole Hall of Center film that I've seen. So lovely and, lovely and amazing. She, I think, was the mom in Into the Wild, maybe. She was in Captain Phillips. She was also in Please Give with Kevin Corrigan. Walking and Talking, Kevin Corrigan. Uh, so that's eight movies in. Those are all in the 90s, rated high in the 90s. Well, not high in the 90s, but rated very high, comma, no, 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 rated rated highly, and, comma, and 
rated highly and in the 90s. Uh, then Begin Again. I think she played uh, Mark Ruffalo's ex. I think. Enough Said, uh, which was a film from this month's scavenger hunt that I rewatched and will probably not come up in the end of the month scavenger hunt because I don't normally talk about rewatches there. But I will say, I did lower the score of this film from where it was before. So Catherine Keener was actually much higher, and she's been in the top 10 before for a long period of time, mostly thanks to Nicole Holofcener because she I, I've loved all of her movies. I did lower the score a little bit, but I still think it's a great film, and I find that in most films, Catherine Keener is kind of uh, underused. Uh, Like this next one, Get Out, from 2017. That's this year. Her role is important, but very small. Uh, Her 12th best movie is Trust. She plays herself in Adaptation. She, her other second nomination came from Capote. She lent her voice to the Croods. She was in Cyrus, a late quartet. The 40-year-old virgin, she plays opposite Steve Carell. She plays the interest, love interest. Where the Wild Things Are. Uh, she's not a voice, so I guess she's the mom. Uh, she was in The Soloist with Robert Downey Jr. and... Uh, Jamie Foxx she was in The Interpreter Uh, I don't remember that it's been so long Uh, The Oranges with Hugh Laurie Synecdoche, New York Uh, Oranges, uh, Synecdoche, New York both average Death Smoochie, average If These Walls Could Talk, average and then her bad films are Bad Grandpa uh, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief then her awful movies, What Just Happened, with Robert De Niro, Accidental Love, Jake Gyllenhaal, Peace, Love, and Misunderstanding, which I don't really remember, and 8 millimeters, 8 mm. So while she's been in quite a few awful movies, she's also been in a lot of, a lot of great, amazing movies that counterbalance those bad, bad ratings. And because she's been in so many movies, she's able to parlay those bad scores with good ones to an extent where her value is 50, uh, which is nine points higher than the next highest person on this top 10 list. Uh, Coupled with her two Oscar nominations, that puts her score at 117.71, so four and a half points better than Michael Caine in second. And that's only in, so that only puts her in 22nd place. And, you know, like I said, she's been in the top 10 very frequently. I, I adore Catherine Keener. Ever since I started seeing her in Nicole Hofzinger films and being John Malkovich, I've been just in love with her. I think she's incredible. I think she's an, a really great actress. And I'm always excited to see her in a new movie. Uh, She, along with Gary Oldman, who have both been in 31 films, are two of the 41 people on my spreadsheet that have been in at least 31 films. Uh, Man. So, Catherine Keener, number one in March, 22nd overall. Uh, all All of the people in this top 10 are alive. With Michael Caine being the oldest, he is 80... 
three currently, and will turn 84 in uh, a week and a day. None of their birthdays have occurred yet. So all their birthdays, so William H. Macy's is next in the th- on the 13th. Michael Caine on the 14th. Alan Tudyk on the 16th. And so on and so on. Uh, William H. Macy is the second oldest. He was born in 1950. Uh, Michael Caine in 1933. Can you imagine? 33. That's so long ago now. Uh, the youngest person on this list is Jessica Chastain, born in 1977, which makes which means she'll be turning 40 this year. And uh, she does not look it, I will say. Uh, Catherine Keener, our number one, will be turning 58 this year. Uh, and then... Yeah, so... A wide variety of actors. Mo, you know, Jessica Chastain is turning 40. So no young blood, really. I mean, I guess Chastain kind of fits that bill. But for the most part, everyone's born... Like, after Chastain, you have Alan Tudyk at 46 this year. But everybody's mostly 50 or older. And... I mean, part of that is just that they'll have a bigger catalog of films, so I'll have more chance to see them and possibly give them higher ratings, which is kind of what leads you to higher scores. But, I, you know, I, I just think it goes to kind of show how great of a legacy an actor has the opportunity to leave. And, you know, if you ignore the accidental loves and the peace, love, and misunderstandings and eight millimeters and the Percy Jacksons of the world and focus on the adaptations, the get-outs, the enough-saids, begin-agains, Captain Phillips, Into the Wild, Living in Oblivion, being John Malkovich. Like, those are incredible. Those are, like... And, you know, all of the people I've just named have that kind of catalog. You know, there's a day's worth of movie, of, of great movies for each one of these actors. And... I, I just think that it's one well I mean for one it's something that should really be celebrated hands down but for a second it, it's I think that it's not appreciated enough that you know even when someone has a bad film uh, you know like a Matthew Broderick with Godzilla uh, you know you still end up with you know, when you break down the all the films he's actually been in, you know, you, people forget he was in You Can Count On Me or Election, uh, Margaret. Um, you know, people don't really remember movies like The Freshman, uh, you know, or, or Glory anymore. You know, and people are kind of stuck on, you know, well, he was Inspector Gadget once upon a time. Like, well, yeah, he was, but... You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna bring that up, bring up like another. You know, bring up his like Lion King. You know, bring up uh, War Games. Like, why single out one bad film to represent an actor who's been in so many great ones? And I guess that's kind of the point of this to say. Hey, look, you know these people who you may adore, you may love these people as actors. 
you know, this is what I think of their films. Here are some films that I think are great. Maybe you haven't seen all of them. Uh, maybe you think that the bad ones that I've seen are actually good or vice versa. Uh, or maybe I didn't mention a film that you think is great that I should see with this, this person in it. Um, you know, like interpret this however you want it, you know, maybe. And like now you can, you can kind of even try to game the system, you know, Michael Caine, you think he's too high up on the list? Recommend me some shitty Michael Caine movies I haven't seen. You know, do you want to get Kevin Corgan out there for someone more recognizable? Like number 11, Arlie Ermey. Number 12, Kira Knightley. You know, send me some shitty Kevin Corrigan films and I'll watch them. You know, like, I, you know, I want, ideally, I would have seen every film from all of the people I just named. And that this number would be perfectly accurate, you know? I'm perfectly happy to watch bad movies from these people. Or great movies from these people. Whatever you want. So, if you have any recommendations, any questions or answers, any comments or concerns, you can send those to circleoffilm at gmail.com or check out the website, circleoffilm.com, where you'll find uh, scavenger hunt superlatives, Circle of Film Awards from last year and potential nominees for this year, as well as every other episode, reviews, uh, scavenger hunts, statistics episodes, and and many more. Uh, so, thank you for listening. I will, I mean, I'll listen to this myself within the next few days and figure out if I think it's worth continuing this series of episodes on. Uh, this ran a lot longer than I expected it to, but I'm actually okay. I think I think this is a good length, actually, in hindsight. I think somewhere between an hour, hour 20, hour 25 is where these are generally going to fall. You know, there's just so much to talk about. And, you know, sometimes I'm going to go off on a tangent about The Dark Knight Rises, but that's, uh, that's just how things are going to go. Thank you again, and... I hope everybody has a week. So long, Wait a minute.